Hello, everybody. Dr. Lonnie Stewart here from the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. Are you a physical therapy student about to start studying for the National Physical Therapy Examination? Or maybe you're a professor, a program director, or a clinical instructor who teaches DPT students preparing for the NPTE? Either way, we would recommend checking out our sponsor, NPTE Final Frontier, and the community they've built around preparing for and succeeding on the NPTE. That exam and the preparation that goes along with it can be long, tedious, difficult, and stress-inducing, but it doesn't have to be. NPTE Final Frontier has the tactics and resources to help address all of the usual barriers. They even have scholarships to help with NPTE study courses, FSBPT registration fees, and even research opportunities. And if that's not enough, they're even donating to the very first annual HET Podcast Scholarship to be awarded at the end of every year. Go to NPTEFF.com for all of the details and use code HET for 10% off all purchases. Links to both the NPTE Final Frontier and their scholarship options are available in the show notes. And now, let's get ready to learn. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field, and I've got with me today a very special guest, Dr. K. Mastracola. K. and I both share an interesting background, we'll call it an upbringing, a, a growth, a journey. Really, it's been, for me, relatively new. I'm sure Kay will tell us a little bit more about her, but Kay, let's start out with this. Let's start out with your academic journey and where it's led you to where you're at today. My academic journey, journey is quite the roller coaster with a couple more steep downs, but I guess some could argue that's the best part of the roller coaster. And so I went to a six-year direct doctorate program with St. Louis University in Missouri. So I knew when I was a senior in high school, physical therapy was for me. I grew up with a dad with spina bifida, so physical therapy was always a part of my life. And it just felt right that I wanted to do this, and I chased it. And I chased it in a very academically rigorous environment, but with the benefit of not having to take a GRE. So because it was a direct program, I just had to maintain a GPA. So got accepted in 2016 and graduated in 2022. Did a little stint of Zoom University because of COVID. Sprinkle in a couple TBIs and some ADHD diagnoses in there. Um, but I came out of DPT and I've been practicing full time in pelvic health for almost a year now. And I am thriving. I'm truly thriving. I love that. I love that. And I mean, again, that's for me, right? ADHD and neurodivergence is new. I'm, I'm new to that world. Just recently diagnosed about a year ago. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit, but let's start there. Let's start at the beginning, right? What is your take or, or definition of neurodivergence? Like, how do you look at it? How do you view it? Yeah, neurodivergence to me, I, I get this visual of a brain that's almost exploding on all cylinders of colors and projects and numbers and everything is visual. And so for me, my neurodivergence is not on a lined piece of paper. It's not on this very structured regimen. You follow that passion, you grip onto it, and then it leads you to the next one. And it's kind of almost like chasing the tail of a unicorn, really, but with this passion. You know, neurodivergence is, is passion and it's people think that it's inattentive and it's paper, but at the root of it, it is creative and it is out of the box and it is pushing boundaries. And I think that for so long in academics, you are 
a square peg trying to shave yourself down into this circular hole um, that you actually shave enough down that when you get to the core of yourself, you're like, oh, no, actually, that was right all along. And so for me, neurodivergence is this expansive, creative environment in which you have to bend and shape a little bit to fit in and figure it out. Yeah, I could not have said it much better. I mean, when I look back again, newly diagnosed, so I didn't know that I had this. I, I knew I had something up, like there was some sort of learning disability or learning issue. I knew it wasn't anything with regards to reading comprehension or anything because I was an English major read pretty well, wrote pretty well, uh, understood, you know, concepts and themes. My dad brought me up very young as an English teacher, reading and writing about the classics and stuff, right? I knew it wasn't dyslexia because I wasn't flipping my words or anything like that. Pretty sure it wasn't like an autism thing or anything. I was just always very social, very outgoing, an extrovert to the max, you know, orange for all of you color chart folks out there. I mean, party animal, mayor, never met a stranger, right? Shaking hands and kissing babies, that kind of thing. But I just, something was up. Like I struggled in undergrad. I struggled in grad school. I struggled to pass my board exam. Took me a handful of times. I struggled through an EDD program and, and my dissertation process. You know, I've struggled through a lot of it, but I managed to get through. I found ways to compensate. I found ways that worked for me. And so it's interesting now looking back, it makes so much sense. And I'm like, oh, that's what that was. This I'm finally able to connect the dots now, right? And and then people say like, oh, there's a, a bunch of people jumping on the ADHD bandwagon, right? That's not what I'm doing here. I literally have nothing to gain at this point. I've already made it to where I need to be for pretty much everything that I'm doing in life. And same, same as you, I'm thriving in it. So it's not like getting the ADHD thing was like a way to skirt the system or benefit from it. It just put more of an understanding for myself of what it was that I kind of struggled with. And now there's ways like medications and things I can do and other techniques and things to help with focus and help optimize my output now and my productivity. So it's been an interesting journey for me. You know, it's, it's been weird connecting the dots, but I feel great about it. I, I feel happy to know that I was able to succeed, even though it was there, not really knowing. So I hope my story will inspire some people, right? If I can do it, you can do it, right? Like that's, that's the hope here is that, hey, look, now I know what it was. I, I should have really gotten tested in, in undergrad. In hindsight, had I to do it all over again, that's what I should have done. But I didn't and I still made it through, you know? And that's where I challenged the idea of the ADHD bandwagon. It's like, is it really a bandwagon or do we have better representation? And so yeah. now more people are seeing themselves in our stories. And they're able to better advocate for themselves and, and get the care that they need. And I think that that is something to be celebrated. Absolutely. And it's, you know, you hear uh, a lot of times people say like, oh, you're, you're whatever your thing is, it's your superpower. And it's like, eh, I mean, yeah, maybe if you want to look at it that way. For me, I look at it just like you. It's creativity. It's my mind is constantly thinking up outside the box ideas. You know, I'm looking at things in a different way. And I think realistically, it's helped me get to this point for sure, you know, and it's really, I'm always thinking a lot differently than other people. And I'm okay with that because it's worked for me, you know, and I hope that I can bring some of those thoughts and ideas to other people to help them see outside of the box as well, you know, and, and it's not like you need ADHD to do that. It's just like, have you thought of this? What about this? What if we did this, right? And it, as you have these conversations, it opens people's minds to other possibilities. 
you know, and again, it's just really a, a thought process. And like you said, it is like kind of following the tail of a unicorn all over the place. You know, it's, it's wild. It's a fun ride, but uh, it, it can get crazy sometimes, you know, it can get wild. So uh, talk a little bit about neurospicy, right? That term that we hear a little bit here and there. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I have really capitalized on the phrase neurospicy because I feel like it just encapsulates what neurodivergence is. And so when we look at neurodivergence as a whole, it's this spectrum of out-of-the-box thinking that kind of has a diagnosis attached to it. So ADHD, autism, some forms of OCD, those kind of spectrum disorders fall under the bubble of neurodivergence. But in a sense, divergence is still negative in a sense. It's like, oh, you're out of the norm. Get back in line. Get back in line. And so where I'm like, oh, I'm just a little narrow spicy. You know, my, my brain's got a little bit of, of salt and paprika to it. You know, my brain, if you think about it, it kind of feels like it's always on fire. But fire's not always bad. Fire doesn't mean that your house is burning down. Fire could be you're not cooking a four-star meal, a five-star meal. And so for me, neurospicy is how do we add this extra little flavor to something we have, right? How do we spin it into this creative process and, and be something bigger because we have a brain that can comprehend outside of lines and utilize that to our advantage to take something that can be, don't get me wrong, ADHD can be detrimental. I have gone down so many rabbit holes of, of hyperfixations and lost track of things. And, and the forgetfulness can sometimes be plaguing. But when it's utilized correctly, and, and that, again, is using medication sometimes and using cognitive behavioral techniques, and when you can funnel it, it can be gorgeous. And I think that that is that, that delicate balance of the neurospicy. For me, I thought my neurospicy was always just like an entrepreneurial mind. You know, I just always am thinking about how I can businessize things or what could that look like in a business model or, hmm, that's interesting. Like, I wonder how they're going to monetize that, you know, like. I just, a lot of entrepreneurs deal with the same thing where they're constantly thinking of ideas and how to progress a business or scale a business or grow a business, whatever. And they just can't shut it off, you know? And it, it is, it's hard for me to shut my brain off at times. And I will say that like, when I first tried the medications, I was like, okay, all right. You know, I kind of see. And then we played around with the dosage a little bit, got the right dose. And now I get like six solid hours a day of straight up focus. And it is a magical thing. It is like, I cannot believe people with normal brains function this way. This is amazing, you know? And so again, like you said, there's techniques, there's medications, there's a bunch of different ways to handle it. And I think that's what, you know, my story was, was getting through it somehow without the medications and now benefiting from the other end of it and being like, oh, okay, I can also try the medication to help as well. Uh, and it's really helped rein me in a little bit. I think I've become a lot more focused and a lot more um, productive. I don't know. We'll see. I'm still learning. You know, I'm figuring it out in hindsight, right? I did use a lot of techniques. I used a lot of compensations. I used a lot of things to help me stay on task, on target and focused when I didn't have medication, just because I knew that's what my brain was going to do and how I was going to run with it. So if I did this, this, and this, it would keep me a little bit more online and a little bit more on task. Uh, and eventually I got through. So it worked, I guess. Right. But tell me a little bit about like uh, your experience in school. What was that like? What were some techniques you used? What were some things you saw early on? Like, what was it like going through PT school? Because I know my, my, my PT school was a roller coaster ride. 
Hence the podcast, really. That's why this all started, because it was a bumpy ride for me. Yeah, that's a great question. I think to know the journey, you know, you go back as far as high school, especially considering I jumped basically right into a graduate type program that was sped up. I excelled in high school. Looking back, like I'm just like, this isn't the same brain that like read novels per night after four hours of volleyball. Same, same. And I mean, I slept in history class and passed because I watched Hamilton and those those kinds of things. And I was the top 10 percent of my of my school in Jersey. I got to PT school and it smacked me in the face and I fell dead on my heels. And I was like, it was an ego shift. It was an identity crisis. And I had a professor look at me, and I think that this is really important to, she said to me, she was like, yeah, of course it is. You went from being the top 10% to being in a room full of people where it was mandatory to be in the top 10% to get in. Now you're at the bottom of the top 10%. Yeah. How do you, like, oh my God. So um, not only was it the academic rigor, but then the imposter syndrome of like, I am not good enough to be here because you then get knocked down, right? Where you're like, well, if I'm not the top, then I'm the bottom. And it doesn't matter if you're the bottom of the top, like you don't see that when you're in it. You don't know how deep the water is when you're drowning. So for me, it was really masked as anxiety and depression to begin with. Um, I had a lot of social issues when I first started PT school because and like PT school, I say starting as like, you know, 18 year old freshman. So my program was three and three. Yeah. Um, but the first few years were accelerated, like all your biochem, all of that. Being ADHD and being such a people pleaser, being so outgoing and also masking you know, and, and also sprinkling in a bit of, of rejection sensitivity. I found myself just falling on my heels a little bit in friendships as well. And, and not because I, you got to remember, I moved from Jersey to Missouri. I have no family. I have no friends. And I am just trying to take the first person who says, you're cool. And, and that became my personality. So it was really actually the, the social navigation as someone with ADHD and with masking and with fear of rejection that that pushed me into therapy and therapy then turned into getting on an SSRI and things got a little bit better uh, until the rigor bumped up again. And when the rigor bumped up again, I started having night terrors. And when I started having night terrors, then they were like, oh, this is something deeper seated. And so it just kind of kept piling until it really kind of came to, wait a minute, what was that thing you said about like, this is a sensory issue and this is this and that? And my therapist, after working with me for four years, was like, you should really consider being tested for ADHD because I always uh, make the joke of the the DSM-5 ADHD checklist was the only test that I passed with in flying colors in PT school. I was very fortunate. I had the buffer of leaving my ego at the door because I was an English major. So mm-hmm. I knew going into it, the transition was going to be hard into like life sciences, you know? So I just knew right off the bat, this is going to be hard. I'll just take all the help I can get, use everything as a learning experience and just take it all in, you know, professors, you know, students, peers, you know, mentors, anybody I could get help from, I did. And I knew going into it, I had to just leave my ego at the door. I was same thing, 10, top 10% of my class, you know, decent grades in, in college. I was, you know, probably a B student, maybe a couple C's sprinkled in there maybe a D and an F if we don't talk about ordinary differential equations two times, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Overall, pretty decent student. I mean, it was hard for me. I've had to study my tail off to get B's, but I I did it. I got through. It was fine. And I think the thing that got me into PT school was really the communication ability and, and 
my outgoingness and my, you know, my um, extrovert, you know, that part of the interview, I think really got me in because, uh, you know, I was able to connect with one of the interviewers. I played rugby. He was a big rugby fan. Uh, you know, he had played as well. We talked about my injury. I tore a meniscus, never got it fixed, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, and really I think showing my true self and, and the ability to communicate through my English background and writing and reading and all that really helped me get in. But then once I got in, I knew I was going to need a lot of help. So I had that buffer of like, just leave the ego at the door. It'll be fine. Just get help from everybody. And that really helped me get through. It was a master's program when I went, uh, you know, but I eventually transitioned into the TDPT uh, and then the EDD after that. So like still a very bumpy ride, still not easy. You know, I do like the idea of thinking about it as a sensory thing because it really was. And it was luckily for me, my wife, who really pointed out, hey, I, I think you've got ADHD. And I'm like, no, I don't. I was like, I, I've got two doctoral degrees. I don't have ADHD. Uh, I'm all I'm all good. And she was like, no, I'm pretty sure you do. And I was like, really? It's always the people who are closest to us. That yeah, it. yeah. So, so it gets funnier, right? So my wife says, you know, yeah, I think you've got it. I'm like, all right, whatever. So I take the little quiz to see. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm hitting a lot of these, actually. And again, I just always thought it was like the entrepreneurial mind and all these ideas and things. And I was like, oh, that, that must be it, you know, but no, it turned out to be ADHD. My roommate from college is now a psychiatrist. And he said, oh yeah, I knew you had ADHD back when we were in college. I'm like, damn it. Nobody took the time to tell me this and say, hey man, heads up. You've got some sort of thing you might want to get tested for, you know? Let um, me tell you, I went through a grieving process. I was so angry. That no one told me. Yeah. Like in middle school, I literally had an intervention with my two parents and every seventh grade teacher. And it was literally like, Christina is such a model student. Like she's like so personable and talkative and she understands the materials, but like she's just not turning in her homework. So her grades are suffering. And and I was like, looking back, like I feel like I'm like that stupid meme from Always Sunny with like the red lines and dots. And I was like, um, like I Yep. So were you, uh, were you scared to go on medication? Like, what were your thoughts when uh, medication was offered? No, I was pumped, to be honest with you, because honestly, like, I'm old. At this point in my life, I was like, bring it on. Let's try it. What's the worst that can happen? Like, some side effects? Like, I don't know. Let's see, right? Overall, for somebody who's, like, kind of out of shape and old-ish, my heart's good. I, I had that checked out because I had family history issues with the heart, so I got that checked out everything's pretty healthy aside from being like grossly overweight and like needing to lose weight, diet and exercise more. Right. I'm totally on board with that. I'm working on that. It's a work in progress. All right. I'm making progress little by little, but when it comes to meds, I really don't want to be on any meds. Like I'd rather not be on anything if I can. Right. So I figured, all right, if I'm going to get on a medication, uh, let's try it. Let's see if it'll help with the, the focus. Let's see what it's all about. So for me, I, I was pumped. I was, I was like, let's try it. And, and like I said, when we first tried it, uh, the first dosage I used that gave me about an hour of like focus. And by the time I dropped the kids off at school, I was like, all right, well, now it's gone. Had it for a minute there. Then I lost it. You know? mm -hmm. So then they, uh, you know, doc bumped me up a little bit and then I got about two or three hours and I started taking it after I dropped the kids off at school so I could get home and get some work done. And then I was still like, yeah, I don't know. I'm a big guy. Maybe it just takes a little more. I don't know. And she's like, well, you're not near the like upper end of the dosage. Let's just bump it up a little more. So we did that again a third time. And that's when we kind of found the Goldilocks zone for me. I was like, I'm getting six hours. I'm good. No, no side effects. Six hours literally gives me from like 
eight to two ish. And I'm the, I picked the kids up after that. So all my work gets done in that eight to two, I'm good. Like this is fine. This is perfect. Let's just go with this. So that's where we're at now. And I'm, I'm thriving. Like you said, is it, you know, it's fascinating. Cause I was terrified. I was really? terrified. So when I got on my SSRI, I was very similar because it was, it was put to me by my therapist. She was like, if you had a vitamin D deficiency, what would you take? And I was like a vitamin D supplement. She's like, cool. You got a serotonin deficit. What are you going to take? And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take my, my store bought serotonin. But when it came to the ADHD medication, the, the narrative that I was told was, was that of someone who is neurotypical and takes it. And it just like, and like focuses you in. And I've, I've had experiences of people in my life who had decided to stop their regimen of medication because it made them feel like a puppet on a string. And like, looking back and I was like, you were probably misdiagnosed with ADHD as like a young white male which is demographically kind of similar and relevant. And so I was like, everything that I, I felt like was important to me, so like my extroversion and my positivity and just my ability to speak to people, I was so terrified to lose that on medication and, and become like normal and boring. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it's so interesting. And I just want to emphasize that like when I get put on medication, I don't lose that part of me. I'm just able to funnel it None of that creativity goes away. None of that yep. spaciness goes away. It's just all like funneled on one task. And it, it's almost like I just closed out like eight tabs that I wasn't using. Yep. And the three main ones are there that I can keep pulling between. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that's that's literally how I feel like. And again, you see it on my phone. I have 154 tabs open. You see it on my computer. I have 20, 30 tabs open. Same thing with my brain, except now, like you said, it's only the three I need to have open right this minute to like get things done um what was your experience with like uh studying and like learning things because i i had some interesting now looking back again it makes so much sense and i see now how i thrive and how i can do much better but that also came with me going through an edd i was a rote memorizer for mm. many years and didn't know that that wasn't really learning so so i had to get to an edd program to figure out how to truly learn and then teach to that learning for now my, my job as a professor, right? So what was your experience like with study? I was definitely prefacing complicated by a TBI. So freshman year, I decided that it'd be a fabulous third date idea to go rock climbing. I have terrible grip strength and I fell off the bouldering wall and just hit the back of my head, massive concussion to a point where I actually have a form of dyslexia where I can't read lined paper. Uh, because I rushed my recovery, attempting to stay in PT school. That's a whole aside that we can get into about ableism. But it was exactly what I needed. So in a way, my TBI definitely did exacerbate my ADHD in, in focusing and in uh, sensory issues and in, in hypervigilance. For me studying, I actually went from writing everything down in notebooks and, and being that like memorizer, you know, info dump and go, info dump and go. Uh, if I could see it on the paper where I was writing it, I could remember it. But then after that, it was gone. And, and in, in some ways, it's almost like, okay, maybe this, this TBI, this concussion was a blessing. Because now I went and I utilized my resources and I went to the Student Success Center that I was using my tuition to pay for. And they sat me down and they were like, why are you writing stuff on paper? You're a kinesthetic learner. You got to be moving your body. Which, you know, makes a lot of sense as someone who's going into a movement science. So my study tactics then, then shifted to the more colors, the better. If it's a flow chart, I can follow it. It's organized chaos. And then I actually transitioned that when I got to gross anatomy. I switched again 
to Play-Doh and cardboard and string, things that I could tangibly hold, scattering flashcards, you know? So I had the answers on one flashcard and the question on the other. It wasn't flipping it. It was physically matching it. And it's, it's fascinating because I'm in an interabled relationship. So my boyfriend, he has autism. And so for him, his learning style, everything is in this teeny tiny paper. And seeing our notes next to each other is, is hysterical. And, you know, both neurodivergent, both neurospicy, completely different. Yeah. And now for a quick shout out to our newest sponsor, Varela Financial. If you're a physical therapist and you have student loan debt, you got to talk to these guys. What makes them unique is that they view financial planning like running hurdles on a track. And for PTs, the first hurdle many of us run into is student loan debt. Varela Financial will help you get over that hurdle. They not only take the time to explain to you which plans you individually qualify for and how those plans work, but they also take the time to show you what your individual case looks like mapped out within each option. So if you're looking for help on your student loan debt or any area of personal finances, we recommend working with them. I use Varela Financial personally, and they were able to help me lower my student loan repayment from about $1,800 a month down to about $135 per month simply by finding the right repayment plan that best fit me, my family, and our life goals. You can check them out at varelafinancial.com. Link is in the show notes if you need it for reference, and tell them the HET podcast crew sent you. And now back to the show. Yeah. Nowadays, I see back then why I struggled so much in PT school because I was the same thing. I was trying to write it all down, highlight, highlight, highlight everything, learn it, memorize it, reread it, highlight, 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 and just keep going. And that, that didn't really help. I memorized a lot of stuff and then dumped it when I didn't need it. But now, now that I'm on the other side, it's the same thing. Flow charts, big pictures. I, I drew like a mind map of like, how I was going to connect all these things in my business for my wife so I could explain it to her. And she, to this day, still has no idea what I'm talking about, but it helped me out at least. I was like, see, this connects to that. And very much that, that sunny meme, right? Always sunny in Philadelphia meme where it's just like string and lines and dots. And I'm like, that's how I get it. I, if I can see it and visualize it, I almost need to like big whiteboard chart, you know, drawing things out, seeing the big picture. If I can do that now, I understand things so much better. I can see it better. I can, you know, verbalize it better. I can pull it in together. It's just how now I can become more successful with whatever it is I'm trying to learn or teach. Uh, I think it's helped a little bit with my teaching because I've had to come up with three to five different ways to, to learn the same thing. So now I have three to five different options to teach the same thing. If somebody doesn't get it, I can go to option B. If they still don't get it, I can try option C. If they still don't get it, hey, man, you're on your own. I'm trying everything I got here, you know? Oh, so. it makes me such a powerful PT. Like, I've always got the whiteboard. The biggest compliment I've gotten from a patient was like, you remind me of Steve from Blue's Clues. Because I had my, my whiteboard. And I'm like, I'm a pelvic floor PT, so I'm drawing a bladder. And, and my, she's like, you got your handy dandy notebook. I'm so glad that I can connect to people that yeah. way. Yeah, again, I... I I don't really necessarily lean into that superpower thing, but it's just a, a, it's really a relatable, connectable, almost like a soft skill, really. Like the way that I can relate and talk to people and, and educate people, transfer knowledge is through my wacky way of thinking and like different ways of, of looking at things, you know, three, four, five different ways to, to come up with the same thing. Now combine that in with being an English major and a storyteller. 
all of a sudden things start to get a little bit easier to comprehend and look at the big 30,000 foot view and connect themes and bigger thoughts and ideas so that you see the whole picture, not just like, here's the muscle, here's where it attaches, there's what it does. Origin, insertion, mechanism mm -hmm. or, or use, like that, that stuff never did anything for me. So if I can see the big picture of why it's important and how it all connects and you know how things can happen to it that affect it, now I can put it all together. So I think it's been helpful for me, at least on the teaching side of things. Yeah. And I know I've heard ADHD explained and, and I, I resonate with this so deeply and, um, you know, with a lot of different neurodivergencies, um, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. We're, we're so good at, at masking and adapting, figuring out what somebody needs and, and jumping into it, learning it quickly and adapting to the situation. I built a home bar and I don't know how to use power tools, but you watch a YouTube video and you figure it out. I feel like ADHD in a way, like almost takes fear out of things and kind of makes it fun and dangerous. So let's take it a step deeper, right? A lot of times people get that quote wrong. It's, mm -hmm. it's a longer quote than that. It's, it's jack of all trades, a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. So, oh. so yeah, that's the full quote, right? So that second part is actually kind of important there because it's saying it's okay to like have a bunch of specialties and things that you're interested in and different things. Because sometimes that's better than just being good at really, really good at one thing, right? And, and again, you'll hear arguments on both sides. You'll hear, no, 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 you got to go very, very deep. Bring it in and, and just focus on that one thing, but go real deep. We want depth as opposed to just going narrow and, and really, you know, spreading it out wide. We want depth. We want specialty and focus. And like, maybe and for some the, people. That's the great part. There, there's room for both on a team. Exactly. Exactly. One can't work without, if, if you have two people, and that's why this conversation has gone off the rails and I, I'm so happy with it. But like, if you and I were like on a team, nothing would get done. We yeah. need someone to be, you know, sitting on the back of that unicorn, actually driving. Yeah. I'm actually impressed that we've gotten this far in the conversation and neither one of us has said squirt. I mean, it's, it's really, I love these conversations because again, it's just, it's my people, right? It's, it's, it's my tribe. It's people that get me, that understand me, that see you know, what it's like going through this. And it's different for everybody, right? Even within ADHD, there's a bunch of different styles. Dependent type, hyperactive type. Yeah. I mean, it's different for everybody, but it is what it is. And I'm, I'm still young to this. I'm new to this. I'm learning, you know, knock on wood so far, it's been a, a pretty decent experience. What would you say, like overall, what were some successful techniques that you impl like implemented just not even necessarily school, just life in general, but could be school related or work related. Um, what are some things that you're using that that seems to help? I I suck at time blocking. I'm so oh. bad. I, I cannot force myself to sit and do something when my brain is not ready to take it on. So COVID was actually a huge blessing because it removed the time blocks for me. I didn't have to be there at 8 a.m. for a lecture. So so my mantra, um, and this is where I think the conversation is going to get interesting because I know how you work. So for me, I work best when my brain is turned on. And I, I honor those moments and I, I dive deep when when my brain is ready and it, it's like, OK, now is the time to do this. For the most part, it works when I'm like, now I have the desire to finish my notes or now I just need to go and goof off with the admin in the front during this hour. But I, I'm trading an hour at work for an hour at home, you know, on a Sunday. I can force myself to and I have ways so like this past weekend I went away so I knew I wouldn't have that luxury of, of moving time on a Sunday 
So for me, I, I put on my headphones and I have a playlist. And for me, it's the Disney Park uh, music. Um, that's what I studied best to during board exams. And also putting myself in, in busy environments. When I was studying for board exam, I went to coffee shops to study. When there was so many other things going on, my brain didn't have to find something to focus on. It, it was like, oh, all this stuff is happening. All of this stuff is normal. I'll just focus on what I came here to do instead of like sitting in a silent library and like feeling like forced to focus on something. So long story longer, honoring my brain when I could and when I can't, placing myself in situations that I know uh, spark a little bit more dopamine. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I'm, I'm remotely different uh, in that I love time blocking. I need it. I have to assign hours of the day to things. I think I can allow for some creativity. I try to do that, uh, but that just happens. That comes naturally. And what I've learned to do over the years is have my schedule and my time blocking. If a stroke of genius or creativity hits me, I'll jot it down in my little pad that I always have like in my top pocket, or I usually wear scrubs when I was doing home health or sniff. So I'd always have a little tiny moleskin pad in my pocket, right? And I would jot my ideas down there. Now we have iPhones, obviously. It's a lot easier to just put a note down. But I, I leave it. I let it simmer. I let it resonate. And I go back to doing what I was doing. Try not to let it take me away from the task I was doing. Then once I finish, at the end of the day, I have a buffer that I give myself kind of grace for like things I screwed up, things I couldn't finish, whatever. So at that point, I can either finish the things I had to finish to get done, right? The priorities. Or I can lean back into that list again and go and kind of give that some more thought and like go into that. But I find the same thing. My creativity hits me at weird times and, and places. Showers are always a good one. I, I come up with best ideas in the showers. A lot of people do. I don't think that's an ADHD thing. I, I just think it's water and sensory and mind shuts off a little and it's allowed to be free. And so we come up with good ideas in the shower sometimes, right? Driving to work, at work, I, when I did home health, I would put a podcast on for sure and just, uh, or music, whatever, and kind of zone out, drive, go to wherever I'm going. So my commute, 30 minutes in the morning is me and a podcast and thoughts. And so I've gotten good at like uh, pausing the podcast and leaving a voice memo to myself and then resuming when I get an idea or something. And again, some of these ideas are crap. Some of them are garbage, but some of them are worth kind of investigating a little more. So I, I put it all down. I, I, you know, just let it ruminate, and just sit. And then I come back to them and see if it's something that, that should be followed. Yeah. Time blocking is a big one for me. Uh, that that's always been for me to be successful and get stuff done. I've had to time block. Uh, and that was one of the techniques I used kind of beforehand. But also I think for me, one of the, the, the major things that's been, you know, kind of successful for going on 20 some odd years now has been realizing that there's, there's time to recharge and really that realizing there's times where you have to kind of just chill out and, and let things go. Um, as opposed to like work, 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 or, you know, and just keep going. At some point, you need to just turn it off. Whether it wants to shut off or not, you got to walk away and, and just detach yourself, do something that's going to calm you down, chill you out, and get ready to rewire and recharge. Do you have uh, certain triggers that like, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm starting, I'm starting to slow down. I need that recharge. Are there certain things you, you find yourself doing? Yeah. I used to definitely get like uh, sluggish and tired by the end of the day, like really like wanting a nap. I found that hydrating majorly helps me with that nowadays. I don't feel sluggish or tired anymore. Uh, also, I was driving around eating crap, doing home health for many years, five years at least. 
So that wasn't helping me any, right? My diet was garbage. Uh, I was sedentary in that I was driving around all day. I'd get up, I'd go see some patients and I'd go home. Then I'd document a bunch. Like it was a bad, bad lifestyle. And I was doing that on top of a skilled nursing facility, on top of my own business, on top of, you know, trying to do all this other stuff. It was 80 hours a week and it was just not sustainable. I knew that. And I told my wife, I said, hey, this isn't sustainable. We got to figure something out. And then COVID hit. So again, kind of a blessing for me because it was a hard reset and a look at, all right, we have to scrap this and start from scratch. They want me to go into a COVID only unit. I don't want to do that. I don't want to risk bringing it home to my wife who's type one diabetic already immunocompromised, not something I wanted to do. So I was like, well, this isn't going to work out. Right. So I resigned on a Monday and by Wednesday in a total God moment, the, the head of the department said, Hey, are you still looking to teach? And I was like, I wasn't, but I am now I'm a free agent. What do you got for me? And it was a perfect fit. And it's been, you know, all rainbows and unicorns ever since, uh, for the most part. So I love what I do. I love teaching, love educating. It's been a really good fit for me. It just like, uh, my face kind of would feel warm and heavy and my eyes would start to kind of feel heavy and I'd start kind of dozing off or nodding off. Luckily that wasn't while I was doing home health and driving around, and driving, right? Uh, because I could always crank the music or crank the podcasts, put the Sensory window down. Seat. Yeah. Yeah. AC, you know, like just everything I needed to do to, to fire it back up. So it was more so like the later hours in the evening. And again, I think a lot of it came down to me just not getting enough sleep. Let's go back to when before the COVID, when I was working on my EDD up till about 2018, when I graduated, uh, those were late, late nights, early mornings of working full time family and working on the dissertation. It was just a mess. It was a disaster. It was really, really bad. And I was only getting probably four hours of sleep, two hours. Sometimes it was bad. It was real bad. And I knew that. Uh, but it seemed like it had to get, get done, done, you know? So now I, I pride myself on taking seven, eight hours of sleep a night. I love it, you know? And like that hustle culture of like, oh, you got to work hard. Go, 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 go. Yeah. I mean, like I get it, but that shouldn't be for a long time. That shouldn't be all day, every day for 40 years. That should be like maybe in the first year of your business. And then you have to start thinking more critically about how can I prioritize the things and lean into those things that are going to, you know, help me move this thing faster with that less work? It's like that trading time for money thing. We don't want to necessarily go down that route, but you got to find things that, that help amplify you and what you're trying to accomplish without physically having to be there so that you can get that money freedom and that time freedom. That's, that's the moral to every story, right? You just want to have control over your time. When you do that, you can take seven, eight hours and sleep very well and not feel bad about it. Because you've got it pretty much planned out. You've got a set structure that kind of works for you. So that's been my experience thus far. And it's, uh, like I said, it's worked. I've been relatively successful. So I have very little complaints. You know, it's, uh, like you said, thri thriving, thriving, yeah. you know. Yeah, my two triggers are, um, I start noticing I'm, I'm getting a little burnt out and I need to, to reel it back is when I start snapping at people that I love and like my brain starts going into like, why did you say that? Like, you know, that little like quick anger and it's like, whoa, you, you like this person. What's wrong? And when I start wanting and only eating cereal, because mm. I do not have the executive function to crack an egg. So that I noticed that so hard in grad school, like mm. to the point where like, I actually had to stop buying cereal. Yeah. It's all I was eating. Wow. Because I, I had no executive function to like make something. Yeah. I've noticed that too back in the day when I was working 80 hours a week. Uh, I was definitely short with people that I loved and it had nothing to do with them. It was a hundred percent on me. 
but it, it wasn't necessarily, you know, the ADHD it was sleep deprivation. It was stress. It was everything I shouldn't be doing. I was doing. And then on top of that, I personally took it upon myself right around when COVID hit and we reset and started the new job as a professor teaching, right? And doing those things. I really started leaning into stoicism a little bit because I'm from New York. I have that knee jerk reaction. I want to just come back right away. Something smart, snappy, witty, like pissed off, instant knee jerk reaction stuff. Right. And can't I've had do that to, to a student. Can't do that to anybody. Right. Like really? shouldn't, shouldn't do that to family, friends, students colleagues, right? Bosses, like none of that, right? Patients, you just shouldn't do it. So I had to work a little bit on stoicism and just kind of taking that moment for pause, thinking about, oh, interesting, right? And just sitting with it. I, I like to just use the, the mm -mm, right? Just a quick H-M-M-M, three M's, maybe four. I use a, that's an excellent question. That's a good one. That's a good one. I like that. Uh, yeah, they feel, that gives me a moment to just like breathe and take a breather and, and not give my knee-jerk reaction. Because again, half the time it's wrong. So it's like no sense doing that. But the times that it's right, if you come across, you know, real aggressive and pushy and angry, it's not going to work either. So it's like, just take that moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then go into whatever it is, you know, after your mind's had a moment to process. And, and sometimes you just need to say flat out, like, hey, probably need a moment or two more to, to process this, you know, something we can probably come back to. It's just, you know, not, and not the a, impulsivity with ADHD, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, it's very much so. Against nature. And not just a New York, New Jersey thing, because I'm with you on that one too. Yeah, it is. It's pretty wild. Well, for me, like I said, it's been a journey. I'm still learning. I'm interested. I'm all for it. Again, I'm all about self-improvement and just trying to constantly improve myself and get better. Uh, and so this, for me, is a new, new thing that I have to kind of work on and, and deal with and ride out and see how it goes. And Mm -hmm. experiment, see what works, what doesn't. But overall, like if you had to give a student, let's say, or a new grad who maybe has ADHD or, or something on the neurodivergent spectrum and maybe hasn't been tested yet or has been tested either way, like what's some advice you would give to, to somebody who may be dealing with something in neurodivergence? Find the resources you're already paying for. So your universities, and this is to students, your universities have counseling centers. They have student success centers. They have things that are set up that you, with your tuition, are paying for. And, and sometimes it, it's asking and, and you have to, you know, set that ego at the door. There is nothing wrong with asking for help. Absolutely not. And, and whoever set that mantra is wrong. Like, it's not weakness. Asking for help is not weakness. If anything, it, it's, it's finding, it's working smarter, not harder, because you're not wasting your time. Like, if someone else has a key, why are you forging your own? Go just ask them for it. And so someone's just finding somebody, and if they don't know the answer, a lot of times they'll send you to someone who does. And if they tell you no, be like, thank you for your time, and then go find somebody else. Universities are huge populations. Yeah. So seek out the resources you're already paying for. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And fortunately and unfortunately, the testing process for ADHD mm -hmm. can be a bear. It's not generally available at university level. Um, a lot of times you have to go outside the university for it. A lot of times it is not covered by insurance. So it is cash pay out of pocket. And I kind of get it because I've talked to some psychiatrists and psychologists who do the testing. And what they were getting reimbursed for it. And it's a multiple day test. They were getting paid like 35 bucks to do 
two or three days worth of testing. That just doesn't equate. So I understand why they had to go that route. We're kind of dealing with something like that within physical therapy, right? Reimbursement levels are too low. We're not getting paid what we're worth. I get it. So it can be tough to get tested. I would recommend if you think you may have some form of neurodivergence, definitely pursue testing if you can. Exhaust all options if you can. Again, in hindsight, I would have done it way earlier had I even thought about something like this. So it's nice to know now after the fact, because it helps me kind of put things together. But in hindsight, I wish I had gotten tested. Accommodations. I would have gotten some accommodations in, in undergrad and in grad school and, and in my board exam. If I go for the certified specialty exam, which I'm planning on doing for geriatrics, I, I'll get accommodations for that, which is nice because it may be the first and the last time I ever use them. Uh, but whatever, it, it, it is what it is. I get more time to sit and test and focus and, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, I would recommend definitely getting tested because if you do, that can open the door for things like medications, like accommodations, like just general peace of mind and knowing, you know, what's going on. That's kind of where I'm at. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Like I understand now what it was I was dealing with. Like, it's nice to know. And if you can't get tested or can't find a place, like I would definitely try to reach out to the, the resources at the university and see if they can put you in touch with somebody that can make it happen. To me, it's definitely not something that is you know shameful or that you should be you know worried about or afraid of or embarrassed about. We're here talking about it. We don't, we don't seem to have any issues with it. I mean, you know, not everybody's the, the same open book style, but Again, my hope is that these conversations will help people, you know, become aware, become more knowledgeable to it. Like ask questions, you know, like feel free, please, on, on all social media, I'm pretty accessible. Like ask questions. I'd be glad to answer it. My experience may be different than yours, uh, but hopefully it can help. Hopefully some things are in line and they may help you. So please feel free to reach out to, to myself. I'm sure uh, Kay will be more than happy to answer some questions as well, but Okay, I just want to take the time to thank you for coming on the show and for giving your time and having this conversation because I think it is an important one, especially, you know, during Mental Health Awareness Month. So hopefully people can do their due diligence and kind of look up uh, all the ways that they can get involved and help with that and bring awareness to mental health. We have one final question that we ask all of our guests. Uh, and that question is, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise. What aspect would you change and how would you change it? That is an excellent question. I would change the definition of preparing you for the real world. I feel like higher education has this grip hold of trading ignorance and almost aggression. I, I don't know if that's the right word. In the nature of, well, I'm just preparing you for the real world. Like very like paternalistic in a way where I feel like they, they trade their compassion and they, they lose some humanity. Education needs to return to its empathy and its its understanding, especially in healthcare education, right? Because yeah. we're not superheroes. We're not. We are people who are going to be treating other people. And I think sometimes we, higher education forgets to to respect the person first before the student, and that gets lost in the translation of preparing for the real world. In the real world. There are accommodations, there are understanding, there's room for everybody on the team. And, and in my experience, I've found so much more compassion and empathy and understanding in the quote unquote real world. I, I wish that that was also given to me in higher education. So more humanistic, holistic approach to education uh, and, and just connecting, right? Being human. I love it. I love it. 
Well, Kay, again, thank you so much for your time and for coming on. Where can people find you and follow you if they just want to see your story and what you're up to? And uh, we actually have a little bit of a surprise. Uh, I don't know if many people have seen, but the HET podcast has actually teamed up with Kay's company, uh, DPTs with Anxiety. Uh, you can look that up at DPTs underscore with underscore anxiety. Uh, the link is there for a sticker, a new HET sticker. Uh, that will help support mental health awareness. So where can people find you? Where can they uh, look you up? And, and where should they contact you if they have more more questions or just want to chat? Yeah, Instagram is probably the best way. I'm most vocal on there. Um, so my page is, like you said, at DPTs, plural, underscore with underscore anxiety. And it is a meme page that breaks down the barriers from classroom to clinic on everything that we are anxious about. And it kind of pokes fun at it through a humorous lens. So if you like to laugh and you like to be like, hey, that's me in a meme, uh, that's where you can find me. Um, because I have ADHD, I am super vigilant in my DMs and I love chatting with people. So even if you just need a soundboard to be like, hey, I, I just don't know where to turn. Like, let me be that person for you, you know, and, and I can send you to places that that can help. Right. Because I've, I've lived it. And again, I've, I've already forged my own key. Let me give it to you. So definitely reach out in my DMs there. Uh, starting to dabble in the TikTok world with the same, same hashtag. Still trying to get into the Reels game a little bit. Um, but the, for the most part, Instagram is is my home and I love it. Awesome. Yes, well, we will, we will drop all those links in the show notes so people can find you easily. Dr. K Master Cole, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure and I look forward to uh, catching up with you soon and, and hearing what's going on in your future. Thank you so much, Dr. Fields. Well, I hope that episode was entertaining as much as it was informational and educational. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, we ask you to please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. And please share out the episodes to those who you feel may be able to benefit from them. We also urge you to follow us on all social media platforms at HET Podcast and let us know what topics or experts you would like to hear from in future episodes. And just as a reminder, none of the information on today's show should be considered medical advice. It's simply infotainment or edutainment to help educate our audience. For medical advice, we always advise you to reach out to your preferred medical professionals, and we'll see you on the next show.